Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I'm so happy to have you join me again. And we are going to get right into our interview with Dr. Jen Mann in a few minutes after I go over a few things with you guys, because I always want to thank you so much for joining me um, and hoping that you take something away from every single show, because the show is about educating, empowering, and inspiring you so you can live a fearlessly authentic life, because that's what we're all here for. So when we're thinking about those crappy days and are we learning enough? Are we feeling empowered? Are we feeling like we're inspiring ourselves and others around us? Um, That was the reason why I wanted to create this show was to give you those tools so you can go and live that wonderful life. And with that said, I also wanted to share with you something that I've been sharing for a couple of weeks now. Um, Back in December, when I turned 60, I decided to get away from a lot of animal-based protein food. You know, um, I was a fitness competitor, won two world shows, and eating protein was very, very important for me to build and maintain muscle. And now that I'm 60 years old, um, I'm still working out a lot, but it's a different way of working out. And I just wanted to start feeding my body differently. So I started using a company called Sakara, and they uh, deliver meals to my house. I get three meals a day delivered. They are delicious. They are plant-based. And I could have never created meals like that for myself because I'm not a great cook. So it has made a huge difference in the way I feel in my body. And I love that I'm eating more plant-based foods versus animal protein. So if you are interested in trying this out for yourself, they also have other products, but I wanted to share with you the meal deliveries to your home. Um, go to Sakara. that's S-A-K-A-R.com. Use my code XOJody and save 20% off your first order. So it's Sakara.com. XO Jody to save 20% off. Let me know if you do that. I want to hear from you. So anyway, here we go. Dr. Jen, man, I'm so happy to have you on the show again, because I learned so much from you every single time I'm here. So welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be back. I appreciate that. And I'm thrilled you're, go- you're, you're going more plant-based. Yeah, I think we talked about that once before. I know we follow each other on Instagram. By the way, you can follow Dr. Jen Mann at Dr. Jen Mann. That's J-E-N-N-M-A-N-N. Very easy name to remember. And uh, I know that you've been eating, this isn't what the show's about today, but you have been plant-based for a really long time, right? Yeah, I actually, I went vegetarian when I was 10 years old and saw a documentary where they showed the slaughterhouses. And I just was never able to eat meat again. I never thought I would go vegan. And then I saw Kathy Freston on a show talking about the pain and suffering on your plate and how we really need to kind of look at that. And then I grew to understand how the dairy industry contributes to the meat industry. A lot of vegans call milk liquid meat because what happens is with the cow is put in a terrible situation and forced to breed. And then the baby boy cows are made into veal and the baby girl cows are forced to be in these terrible accommodations where they're standing in their own feces. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's really terrible. For for a lot of reasons, for a lot of reasons, it's for so many reasons, for humanitarian reasons and just to feel health reasons. I just feel so much better. So thank you for And one other thing I'll say is when you talk about protein, there's a wonderful book called Proteinaholic for anyone who's interested or wants to go vegan, but is concerned they won't get enough protein by Dr. Garth Davis, who you probably follow as well. He's amazing. It's really well researched and it's, it really talks about nutrition and how people overestimate how much protein they need and, and about health. It's, it's a fabulous book. He'd be a great guest for you on the show. 
Thank you. Yeah. I'm ri- actually writing his name down right now too, because yeah. that was one of my concerns. Yeah. Because being so protein based, and I and then I realized that yeah. as I'm getting older, as my workouts are changing, even though I'm working out four times a week lifting weights, I st- yeah. but I don't need as much protein as I did when I was competing, for example. So Absolutely. I think that's really important. Yeah. And most people overestimate how much protein they need. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I want to, now that we've gotten this, which I know we talk about so many different things, because I, I really feel that we align on so many things, our Peloton yeah. and yeah. Your, your workouts. We both are, it's, it's a priority for both of us to yes. take care of ourselves first in order to take care of other people. And I know you've been, you've been a psychotherapist for over 30 years. Yeah. Um, you know, I have your bio here, so I don't want to miss anything as I explain who you are to the audience. So they know who I'm talking to. Um, I do have to put my, Oh no, I don't have to put, I could fake it right here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to just fake it here. Okay. Not to fake it in your relationship, but you can fake yeah. the reading here. All right. Uh, Dr. Jen Mann is one of the most well-recognized psychotherapists in the country, most known as the host and therapist for VH1's longstanding hit shows, Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen Mann, with Dr. Jen, and Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. She has appeared as a guest expert on hundreds of other shows, including The Today Show, The Early Show, Dr. Oz, Wendy Williams, and The Doctors, just to name a few. She is the author of multiple best-selling advice books, including The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy, as well as many books to help raise healthy children, which I love. Um, We've never discussed that, but you've you've written a lot of books about how to raise healthy children. And um, I love that because that's so important. As family, you you need to understand all the dynamics of a relationship. Uh, Dr. Jen is a licensed marriage, family, and child therapist and has been in private practice for almost three decades. She lives in Beverly Hills, California with her partner, Eric Schiffer, and twin daughters, Quincy and Mendez. Did I pronounce her name right? Mendez? You did. Okay. Yeah. To learn more about Dr. Jen, visit her Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Uh, thank you yeah. again for joining me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And by the way, I also have a weekly column in InStyle magazine that's all about relationships and sex. Thank you for adding that in there. Um, So the first question I wanted to ask you, I've read your book back and forth, and I just love it, The Relationship Fix. And But one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about this summer in particular, as the masks have come off and the condoms have gone on or maybe not (laughs) on, but a lot of people are calling this like the summer of sex and everybody's just sort of going wild. Um, I was just wondering how has, how have you viewed this? What have you seen? What has changed from the last time we talked back in January to right now as we speak? Well, look, I think that we're in an interesting time. I think that we all saw the numbers go down, the COVID numbers and hospitalizations go down and vaccinations go up and people got very optimistic. And yes, people were running out to bars and restaurants and hooking up and all that sort of stuff. But now as the numbers are going up and the Delta has been flourishing, I'm seeing people start to hunker down now and be a little more conservative and and more concerned. I also saw a lot of people during that time when things were flourishing more, experiencing a lot of social anxiety. I was getting a lot of questions um, for my column about like, how do I now socialize? I felt like I've lost my game. How have things changed when it comes to dating? And, you know, one of the interesting shifts that I've seen when it comes to singles dating is, is called honesty bombing. And I wrote a whole column about this and that a lot of singles are now saying, you know what, we have been in a pandemic for over a year. Life is too short. I've lost friends. I've lost family. I've seen people get sick. I worry about my own mortality. Life's too short. I don't want to play games. I'm going on a date and I, I want to be really clear. What are your politics? What, what are you looking for in a relationship? Do you want to have kids? People are asking the difficult questions on date one, not date 10, because there's a sense of people don't want to waste time. So they are being a lot more honest and a lot more forthcoming a lot sooner, which I think is actually great. I think it's great to not waste time. Well, we don't want to be, you know, as, as I, 
I remember Sex in the City where Carrie says, oh, I got emotionally slutty. We won't have boundaries. We don't need to reveal our entire life story on our first date. But I do think that we need to be really honest about what we're looking for and what our priorities are, what our values are, so that we can rule out someone that is not worth taking the risk of sharing error with in a pandemic and do that relatively quickly. That's that's what I've heard too. I um, I have a lot of friends that are much, much younger than me, you know, 20s, 30s, they're single. Um, I have a 28-year-old daughter that's single. And it. I, that's the feeling that I'm getting also is that almost like there's a sense of urgency, although I'm not sure if that's the right word to use, but they don't want to waste any time with somebody who's not a good match for them. And finding out what somebody's values are at the beginning is a great place to start. And, you know, if somebody's not open to that at the beginning, maybe that's your answer right there. That's not a good fit for me, right? Absolutely. And and I think that you both need to be on the same page, not just about your values and what you're looking for in a relationship, but also about kind of the unveiling of information. If there's too much of a disparity, and look, some disparity is normal, but if there's too much of a disparity where one person's revealing everything and the other person's revealing nothing, it's probably not a match. Have you found that this ha- this ha- is going on now or it was it happening back in the wintertime or when it was like when everything started opening up, people started thinking, okay, I need to get to the meat of this person right away. I think it's probably been a gradual shift, but where I really saw it was this summer, you know, Mm. the summer when people started to really go out and where the numbers were going down and and doing a lot more in-person dating and and also kind of willing to sit down with someone outside of their pod who they don't know and, and do that. But at the same time, in the back of a lot of people's minds were, okay, is this person worth sharing air for? Are they worth taking a risk for? Right. Like, because look, this this still exists. And on the flip side, as, as I asked you before, was a lot of people are having sex. So I think maybe it's the, op- the, the polar opposite. You, one, there's a there's a bunch of people that want to know, okay, what are your values? So I know we can connect and then eventually we will have an intimate relationship. And then the other side is screw it. Literally let's have, yeah. let's have sex because I was by myself for I'm a long surprised. time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and also in, in the honesty bombing, part of that is revealing, what are you looking for in a relationship? And if it's, Hey, I just want sex or I want friends with benefits. That's cool too. But I think people are being more honest about that. And I do think that there are a lot of people who have been quarantined alone. They've been in lockdown alone. They are touch deprived. They are hungry for touch. They're hungry for validation. They're hungry for connection. They're hungry for an orgasm with someone besides themselves. And this is, this is happening a lot. I love what you just said about being touch deprived. Yeah. Because I think that's, even a real thing without the pandemic. I think people yes. suffer from that and suffer might be too strong of a word, but I think that, you know, it's like having a baby. If the baby's not touched, they're not going yeah. to feel loved. Right. And you, you absolutely. I mean, look, there, there are some very sad studies that were done, you know, decades and decades ago where they had these babies who were in orphanages and where they were given all of their, their, all of their needs were met. They were given milk, they were given food, they were given, you know, everything that they needed, but they, there weren't enough people around to hold them and pick them up and touch them. And what they found is that these babies develop what's what we call anaclytic depression and that these babies failed to thrive. Many of them stopped eating and some of them actually died from not being touched. And it really speaks to, there's a, a very ingrained need for human beings to be touched. Yes. Yeah, there there really is. So I think that's what I I feel for all the single people out there. Yeah. Um, or if you're in a relationship that is in need of repair, maybe yeah. one of the issues is that there isn't enough touching. And it doesn't yeah. have to be groping, it's just the touching. So in in getting into your book, I know there are a lot of things that you talk about, but let's talk about um, 
the connection, you know, one of the first things that you talk about is creating the connection, making sure that connection is there and stays there. How do you do that? Where do we start? Well, I think that most people don't realize how important connection is. And I think that they oftentimes think, oh, we're connected because we're in the same house. And especially during the pandemic, well, we're connected because we're locked in a house together. And connection is about face-to-face focused interactions and contact and talking and having a conversation where you're looking at your phone, not connection, having a conversation, like sitting and watching TV together, warm, wonderful, adorable, not connection. What I'm talking about is sitting and actually talking face-to-face. Brilliant guy named M. Gary Newman, who did two of the most significant longitudinal studies of cheaters. And he, the first study he did was of men who cheated. And the second was women who cheated. And his study was heterosexual relationships. And I believe he's going to be looking at same sex relationships soon as well. But what he found, and I don't think it's going to be much different, is that for men, 93% of the time, for women, 92% of the time, the reason why they cheated was either a combination of a lack of emotional connection or a combination of emotional and sexual connection that wasn't there. So what most people don't realize, they think, oh, when, if someone cheats, it's all about sex. Oh, they're just looking, they're, they're just a horn dog and they're just looking to get laid or looking for, you know, validation or whatever it is, or a younger, hotter thing. And, and a lot of the time in the studies, the person the person cheated with was not necessarily more attractive than the original partner, which again speaks to that it's not necessarily about sex like we think it is. So really what that speaks to, if you want to do your best to a fair proof a relationship, the best thing you can do is invest in the connection between the two of you. The best way to do that based on M. Gary Newman's research is to make sure that you have at least 20 minutes of face-to-face time because the studies, particularly of the women, found that the ones who did not cheat were in a relation where they had a minimum of 20 minutes a day of face-to-face contact and sitting and talking with their partner. That's crazy to think that, think about it, 20 minutes. We're on the Peloton for 20 minutes, right? Taking yeah. care of ourselves, um, or maybe an hour, whatever you're doing. But I, my, minimum <laughs> is tw- yes. my minimum is 20 minutes. Yeah. So you make that time. So it's, I'm not going to say it's nothing really, because I've been in different relationships where I can't even stand talking to the person for 20 <laughs> minutes. So that's why I'm yeah. not in the relationship anymore. So yeah. I guess that's a great test, but yeah. it's, it's easy to, to practice that 20 minutes. Okay, yeah. this relationship is important to me. I am going to practice, like you have to practice every everything yeah. to with this person, right? Absolutely. And you would be amazed at how difficult it is for a lot of couples to carve out 20 minutes where they put their phone down. It's shockingly difficult for most couples that I talk to. And when I give this assignment in my private practice, I can't tell you how often people say, well, how about about 10 minutes instead of 20 minutes? How about five minutes? Can we start with five minutes and build up? Like, it's amazing how we've gotten so used to looking at our phones instead of our partners. We spend more time with our eyes glued to a screen than our partners. And that says a lot. And I think also for some, for some couples, it's awkward at first just to talk because it's so foreign and it's shocking how foreign it is. Right. And you're actually looking at them in the eyes and you're like, wait a minute, I don't really do this for 20 minutes. I, yeah. I don't really, or, you know, but I, I, that's great advice. And I think yeah. that it would be hard if you're not used to doing it. And there's another really interesting study that speaks to this. And that's the one that's done by Arthur Aaron. And Arthur Aaron studied intimacy, like emotional intimacy. And what Arthur Aaron did was fascinating. He created a list of questions that were gradually and slowly increasing in intimacy and vulnerability. And even at the height of them, they weren't like crazy, like tell me your deepest, darkest secret kind of questions. They were more like, you know, what do you think of your mother? Or, you know, what's a happy memory that you can think of that that makes you smile? It was those kind of questions. And what he did was he took a bunch of college students and he had, they were heterosexual, single 
males and females. He put them together, had them ask each other these questions. And at the end, they had to do, I believe it was a two-minute eye gaze where they just looked each other in the eyes for two minutes, which sounds like not a lot, but it's actually kind of awkward uncomfortable to stare at someone without speaking for two minutes. What he found was that people fell for each other. They developed feelings for each other. One couple actually got married as a result of this study. And a woman named Mandy, I believe her last name is C-A-T-O-N, who is a professor at a school, did the same thing with another male professor, then wrote an article in the New York Times about it. What happened for that? They fell in love and they are now living together. And what it really speaks to is that What brings us together is reciprocating vulnerability, intimacy, and talking. And it's very easy to go on autopilot in a relationship and just be like, okay, who's taking the kids to soccer? Okay, who is going to make dinner tonight? Have you done the wash? Okay, um, these are the tasks that need to be done because, look, running a family, especially, or even a, a couple doing that is is actually very time consuming. It takes a lot of focus. It can drain a lot of the intimacy out of the relationship. So it's really important to actually create that time where you can talk. And, and in the book, I have all of Arthur Aaron's questions. So if you feel like we're at the point, because some couples get to the point where like, I don't even know what to talk about. Like, right. how do I sit for 20 minutes? Take the questions, sit and ask each other the questions. You may think you know everything about your partner, especially if you're in a long-term relationship, but there's always more to learn. And that's exciting when you think about, wow, I mean, to sit down with my partner and maybe that could be the thing that inspires you to do it. I want to learn more about him or her, Yeah, you know, because it is difficult. I can't imagine staring for two minutes yeah. at my husband right now. Like that, that would just... It would be weird. It's a little overwhelming. It feels a little a little awkward, but you'd be amazed at what it can do. Yeah, that's very cool. I'll have to try that. And you were talking yeah. also about, you know, how the intimacy could be taken out of the relationship where it becomes very transactional, right? Yeah. Especially when you have children at home and they're, you know, I'm out yeah. of that phase, but I remember it does. It becomes you're like, "Well, what are we? Are we yeah. are we just like parental units?" You know, yeah shuffling the kids around and it's, that's got to be tough. So I think it's really important to carve out that time. Yeah. And it's very easy to get to that point if you're not very mindful. Right. Yeah. I w I would think so. So another, another way we have two minutes to the break. Um, so I want to get in like maybe another um, suggestion for creating communication. We can finish it on the other side of the break, but just to get something started here. Um, well, in terms of creating communication, you know, separate from carving out the time, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that is really important when it comes to, um, to connection is really seeking to understand the other person. And I talk about this more in my Fighting Fairly chapter, but a lot of the time what happens, especially over the last year, year and a half, because I've seen a lot of couples deal with a lot more conflict in their relationship, is that we have these conversations where we get so focused on, you need to come to my side of things, or you need to hear me, or you need to do this. And a lot of hot button issues have been talked about, you know, vaccinations, politics, how to run your household, how to homeschool your children, like all of this stuff are very hot button issues. So a lot of couples that weren't necessarily heated before have gotten heated. And a really important thing to keep in mind in your communication, your connection is seek to understand the other person. Instead of seeking to convince them or take them to your side, seek to understand because when you do that, that creates the connection. When there's a sense of, oh, wait, the reason why you want to do that is because of this, this, and this. Wow, I never realized that that was important to you as opposed to, no, that's a stupid idea. No, that's bad. No, we shouldn't do that. No, I don't like that. Yeah. Convincing. Convincing is not a good thing. I learned that a long, long time ago that you can't convince anybody. It's it, You can't play that convincing game at all. It doesn't work to come well, the over only to your way, side. The only way you can convince someone is if they feel respected, understood, cared about by you. If you come at someone trying to force them into a different position, it's not going to happen. 
But if they feel that you are actually listening, have empathy and are hearing their side as well, you stand a much better chance. Mm, I love that you brought up empathy. All right. We're going to talk about that when we come back with Dr. Jen Mann. We'll be back in a few minutes and we will see you after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, Following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code PODCAST to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Welcome back, everybody. I am with Dr. Jen Mann, the author of The Relationship Fix, which I have here. This is a great book. This is a great book. Whether you need to reignite your relationship, whether it's great and it just needs to be taken to the next level. This is a great book. You really, I hate to use the word dumb it down, but you make it very, let's put it this way. You make it very simple to understand. So thank you for writing this book. My pleasure. I really wanted it to be like a year of therapy in my office. And I wanted to share research that was relevant to couples and to people who want to have healthier relationships who might not even be in a relationship and do it in a way that made it fun and an easy, fun, light read, and also include a lot of clinical examples and experiences and, you know, people who I've worked with, obviously keeping their identity confidential and also people from my show, from couples therapy. Right. And I, I like the fact that you mentioned that it's not just for people that are in relationships. Yeah. It, it's for people that are single also that want to improve on the next relationship or they don't want to make the same mistakes um, that they made or they or it gives them an idea of what to look for yeah. and how to how to do things differently or better. And also, what are the things that you have to work on and examine in your own life, in your own relationship patterns, in order to make sure you do something differently or pick different kinds of partners or make healthier choices for yourself and behave in better ways in your future relationships? Right. So before we took the break, we, we touched upon empathy real fast. And I just want you to um, 
maybe go into that a little bit more as to why it's so important when you're communicating and then talking about how to fight fair? Yeah, well, having empathy for our partner sometimes can be challenging. Sometimes it's very hard to have compassion to see things from that other person's perspective, given their history, especially if it's very different than yours, given that um, they may have very different views about things. But it's really important if you're going to have effective communication to be able to to do that. And, And people tend to be allow their partner to influence them more when they feel like their partner understands them and is empathic. Yeah, that's, it's so important to have empathy, really, really is. So we're creating the connection based on a few of the things that you mentioned. So now, again, there, there's maybe, you know, an argument or something that we disagree upon and we want to make sure that we have that communication, but how do, how do you fight fair? Yeah, well, look, I think that if you come from a family where people didn't fight fair, then it's a whole lot more difficult for you to fight fair. And typically what I see is we tend to recreate our our family of origin. And if you had a mom and a, a dad or a mom and a mom or a dad and dad or whatever the combination was who yelled and screamed, who name called, who threw things, who, whatever it was that they did, you're far more likely to do unless you've had a lot of therapy to work on unlearning those patterns and creating some ways for you to calm yourself and communicate differently. So it's really important to look at, you know, the way you communicate, your tone, your words, you know, name calling is never okay. Obviously, physical violence is never okay. You can never lay hands on the other person. Threats, and look, a lot of the time people do this and they think it's okay to say, well, if you go to that party, then I'm divorcing you. Throwing around divorce, throwing around breakups, throwing around anything like that is unacceptable. And, you know, most people don't realize that how you start a fight, how you start a conversation, according to the studies, 97% of the time, the tone you start it with is the tone it ends with. So if you start it with, you know, you are so lazy and ridiculous, and I can't believe you never put your dishes in the dishwasher, it's going to end on that same kind of negative critical note. But if instead you say, hey, I know you've been so busy lately and I've noticed that you've been so great about wiping the counters off, but I could really use some more help with you putting your dishes in the dishwasher. I know that you do so much around the house and I really appreciate everything you do. But if you could also do that, that would mean so much to me. I'd really appreciate it. You're going to get a very different response. Absolutely. I've done both. I, I've done both in yeah. my relationships and sometimes I I test out different ways and see, and you're absolutely right. Of course you're right. It does end up the same way it starts because people want to be treated with kindness and love and empathy and compassion. And And absolutely. And there's a study by John Gottman, the same guy who I mentioned before, who um, John Gottman, who looks at couples kind of in their natural habitat and he documents every word they say, their heart rate when they speak, everything that they do, how much they sweat, everything. And what he has found is that what matters is not how often a couple fight, whether they fight a lot or they fight a little. What matters is the ratio of positive to negative interactions. And the magic number is five to one. Wow. And if, if you've got a five positive to one negative ratio, the odds are very much in your favor. And he predicts accurately by 97% whether people will divorce or not. And like in my household, my partner, Eric, will be like, hey, you know what? The Gottman ratio is a little off right now. We kind of joke about it. Like, or I'll be like, hey, Eric, you know, your Gottman ratio feels a little off. And even when you know the other person is doing, even when you know the other person is working on the Gottman ratio, be like, you look so beautiful today. And I just love being your partner. And you make me so happy. And I appreciate everything you do in the house. And by the way, could you put your dishes in the dishwasher? And you know what? I noticed the other day how great you wipe the counters. You're still like, even though you know what's happening, you can't help but be kind of charmed by it and, and, and kind of receive the information in a better way. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when we were talking before the break, it's, we get so busy in the transactional part of our lives that even something small, like 
my husband would say to me, thank you for taking such great care of our dog because she had surgery last week. And I thought that just made my night. That just made my night. Just whatever that ratio was and like it just melted. Yeah. And, And I think creating a culture of appreciation in your relationship is really important. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we take for granted the things that our partner's supposed to do. Like, oh, yeah, well, it's your job to take out the trash. But you know what? It's still nice to say, thank you so much for taking out the trash. It's such a pain in the ass job. And I really appreciate that you do that every night. Absolutely. That's, that's great advice. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go to negotiations. So these are all I'm going through parts of the book so everybody could um, get an idea of what you talk about and what you expand upon in the book and the advice that you give. And, and so when we get to negotiations, what exactly is involved there? Well, and this is particularly important for people who are in newer relations. And when I, when I say newer relations, I mean the first two years, because what typically happens is the first stage of the relationship is called the honeymoon stage, the honeymoon stage. And this, Understand, this doesn't mean that once you get past the honeymoon stage, that you're not nice to each other, that you're not courting each other, that you're not, you know, taking each other out to dinner or cooking for each other, like doing nice romantic things. But what it does mean is that typically in the honeymoon stage, we're in that stage where it's like, oh, you like pizza? I like pizza. Oh, my God. I can't believe two people like pizza. We found each other. Where all you tend to see is how you're alike. Wait, you can I just stop get, you there for a second? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great to just live in that honeymoon stage forever? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But our brains won't let us. Like okay. our brains have a limited time span for the honeymoon stage. But in the honeymoon stage, we are wired to see how we're alike, not how we're different. And what tends to happen is we see all these ways that we're like, oh my God, you like pizza. I like pizza. You voted for that person. I voted for that person. You, you like lamps with wooden stands. I do too. I can just envision our future home to get like anything and everything becomes bonding. And what happens is that we tend to kind of merge with that other person because we only see where we're like. And then what happens when we start to move past the honeymoon stage is we start to see where we're different and it can be shocking. What do you mean you voted for that person? What do you mean you want to take a vacation? You want to go camping? I thought you liked the four seasons. What are you talking about? And all of a sudden what tends to happen is these little things that you assume, because what happens is we, we connect the dots. We get this piece of information, that piece of information. We go, Oh, well, a person who likes this is probably like this. Yes. And like we make assumptions and we fill in the gaps. And when we get past the honeymoon stage, we find out the facts instead of the gaps. Mm. And so sometimes we're shocked. Sometimes we're disappointed. And also the other thing that happens in the negotiation stage is we start to learn how are we going to deal with conflict in our relationship? How do we deal with anger? How do we deal with decision-making? And, and that's all about negotiation. And it could be anything small from, you know, where are we going to, what restaurant are we going to eat at tonight if we don't agree? I want this and you want that. To bigger decisions on, okay, if we would have children together, what religion are they going to be raised? Or would they go to public school or private school? Or, you know, would we vaccinate or not vaccinate? Or, you know, masks or no masks. Yeah, like big, big questions that are far more intense to debate and, and discuss. And it can be shocking when that person who you've been so alike, you've been on the same page, you're so bonded, you're having great sex. And now all of a sudden you're disagreeing on issues that are really important to you. And really this is where that seek to understand comes in Mm -hmm. even more. It's so important in that negotiation stage to seek to understand the other person's perspective and to be able to have that kind of communication because you're establishing at that time, how are we going to handle disagreements? How are we going to handle conflict? So what did, so the, the honeymoon stage is over and now you're figuring out how to resolve these conflicts. What do you, what is, what is the one way you could suggest that it, 
you do this. I'm fumbling over my words here because I'm thinking my mind's going over here, thinking, thinking, thinking. Um, But how do you have continue to have this lovely relationship and negotiate it without it feeling like a negotiation here? Well, look, it is a negotiation. Sometimes it may feel like a negotiation. We kind of have to come to terms with that. But watching our own defense mechanisms, making sure that we are not blaming, that we're not defensive, that we're not argumentative, that we are not interrupting, that we're letting the other person speak, that we're really trying to see their side of why that's important to them. Because we tend to, when we get triggered and when it's hot button issues, and also when we have that experience where we feel merged with someone and then suddenly we see where we're different, it can create a lot of anxiety. We tend to be more reactive. So watching and making sure that we're not real reactive in these kinds of discussions is is key. That's really important to know. Yeah. Not being reactive. So now yeah. we're we're moving along in this relationship and yes. we're getting to know our partner very well and we're you you talk about working through your childhood because oh, as you yes. mentioned before that even the way you might argue or negotiate or communicate has a lot to do with the way you were raised and what you saw and what you heard, right? So how do you, do you work that through with your partner? How do you work through that or talk about it? Look, ideally you work through it in your own individual therapy. And I Mm -hmm. always recommend that everybody have at least one year of weekly individual therapy. And sometimes people say to me, well, not everyone can afford that. Absolutely. But what most people don't know is that in order to become a therapist, every therapist has to do 3,000 hours under supervision where they don't get paid. So there are mental health clinics all around this country. And one positive of this pandemic is that most of them still do online teletherapy. So you can actually get therapy with someone who is qualified, who generally is an intern, but has someone who has two years of experience or more who's overseeing your case. So you basically get two eyeballs for whatever it is that you can afford because they tend to establish fee based on your ability to pay. I worked at, at a clinic for many years helping people for free. And so it, it's important for people to understand that there are also um, hotlines, peer counseling hotlines, also sometimes a clergy member, a rabbi, a priest, uh, you know, anyone like that can also help. There are a lot of resources a lot of people don't realize, but being able to talk through your history and to better understand what your patterns are is really important in your relationship. And sometimes people will say to me, well, I didn't have a trauma. I wasn't abused. I wasn't sexually assaulted. I wasn't neglected. We tend to think of those as being the the things that create problems for people. And yes, absolutely those do. But also there, and I talk about this a lot in my book, there are a lot of far more subtle traumas that people have that that they take for granted. You know, something as simple as a divorce. Well, something like, you know, 50% of, um, adults at this point are children of people of divorce. So they went through that experience. Having a parent who just doesn't understand you, having a parent who is very authoritative, who won't listen to you, who is setting down rules where you don't feel seen, heard, or understood, things like that affect you more than most people realize. And that in order to have a successful relation, we really have to look at what has impacted us and what am I bringing to my relationship and acting out with my partner? I One of the questions I had for you was, yeah. do, you, do you feel that you need to fix yourself first before you fix your relationship? I think, and it's a great question. I think it's ideal if you do a certain amount of work. I think that If you come to a relationship without a minimal level of skills, it's not going to work. Do you have to be perfect and be there, whatever there is? No, absolutely not. You don't have to be perfect to have a good relationship. But I do think the more work you've done on yourself, the better the chance of you attracting a healthier partner. Because if you're a mess, you're kind of going to attract someone who's a mess and it's, it's likely to be a disaster. But if you work on yourself and you have that insight about yourself, you're also going to have that insight about other people. You're going to be able to rule out people who aren't healthy matches for you a whole lot quicker, and that will lead to healthier relationships. I've spoken to 
younger people that are in the field of, um, you know, giving out relationship advice and so on. And one of the things that they talk about is that they wouldn't date anybody unless they go to therapy or they've gone to therapy for that same reason you were saying. So there's this um, awareness of the, the younger generation of, of realizing because maybe they are, you know, they've, they've realized that the traumas don't need to be abuse or all the other things you mentioned that they can just, it could be something not just as a divorce, but your parents are divorced. How did I deal with that? And all of those other things that um, may be in your mind, but you don't know how it's manifesting itself. So you want to meet somebody who's also has the same awareness as you. And also the other thing with that is then you have kind of a built-in system. If you guys hit a difficult patch, you you believe in therapy, your partner believes in therapy, you can bring in a third neutral party to do couples therapy with you and help you work through it. Because look, there are plenty of times where two people with decent level skills can work through it together and come up with a great resolution. But there are other times where you just can't. And look, I'm a therapist. I go to therapy. Eric and I do couples therapy. We talk about it all the time. And it's important to have a neutral third party who can say like, hey, you're really triggered by this. You're really triggered by this. Let's take a breath and, and let's kind of unpack this and talk it through. And, and that's really healthy. And, and to have that built into the system of your relationship gives you an innate advantage. I hope that everybody hears you say that because I always talk about, I've been going to therapy for the last 20 years off and on because different things come up, you know, after a divorce, dating somebody, a breakup, getting married, whatever it is, um, kids, things come up and it's important for for myself. um, And I suggested to other people that to check yourself, make sure that you're still, you're still checking yourself and, and putting that right energy into yourself and out to the world because you need to be aware of, of the things that you say and the things that you do because it affects everybody around us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go to sex because yes. who doesn't Everyone's want to talk about Everyone's favorite topic. Right, everybody's <laughs> favorite topic. So you're in a relationship, it needs to be fixed a little bit or maybe it's terrific or maybe you're single and you you want to take the next relationship to the level that you wanted your last relationship to be. Reigniting, let's, let's start with couples, okay? Reigniting your okay. sex life. How do you do that? Do you need to have the communication skills, the negotiation skills, the fighting fair, you know, Childhood or can issues. you just tear off your clothes and go or can you, for it? Yeah. Right, or can you just tear off your clothes? Like, where does this all work? Um, look, it's ideal if you've got those things in place, but I don't think you have to. But I think that where most couples make the biggest mistake is that in a long-term relationship, if you don't put time and energy into your sex life, it's going to dissipate. And we know that all of the wonderful things that get put out in our brain, all of the oxytocin, all of the hormones, all of the testosterone, all of the, all of this great stuff that, that we experience at the beginning of a relation when it's hot and heavy tends to dissipate over time. That is just a scientific fact Right, right. that you're not, the sex that you had six months in is going to be very different than the sex that you have six years in. And if you don't tend to, if you don't carve out the time for sex, if you don't make sex a priority, if you don't actually invest in trying new things, in talking about sex, in learning about your partner, there's, again, this is another area where people make a lot of assumptions. Oh, we've been together for 20 years. I know everything about him. I know everything about her. You don't. I can tell you. And I have a sexual inventory in the back of my book that is a list of questions for couples to ask each other that is kind of escalating in kind of more openness. So you can kind of start easy, simple questions like, you know, what makeup do you like me in? What underwear do you like on me? You know, right. I love like that. that. I love that you have that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of couples are very intimidated by it, but the couples that actually do it really see incredible results and always learn something about each other. Because a lot of the time, even the most open of couples, there are things that are just really hard to say. And unless you're asked directly, a lot of the time people won't say, hey, you know, what could I be doing better in bed? 
you know, questions like that, or what's a sexual fantasy that you have that you've never shared with me, you know, things that are scarier and harder to talk about. And what most people don't realize is that great sex isn't politically correct, that sometimes we want to be submissive or dominant, regardless of whether we are a feminist or, you know, whatever else, like super macho. I have seen plenty of men in my practice who are machismo, strong, powerful, successful men who want to be dominated, who want to be told you're a good little boy, who want to, like, you never know what someone likes, but if you don't create a judgment-free zone for those conversations to happen, you're never, your sex life is never going to live up to what it could be. And keeping things very, very safe, knowing that that's your safe place, using, yeah. you know, if you wanted to use that safe word, if you're going to the dom sub place. And, yep. you know, I think I completely agree with you. I'm, I've been around, like I said, at the beginning of the show, I'm 60 years old. So I've tried a lot of different things. And I think it's so important to be adventurous there as long yeah. as you feel comfortable and that person feels comfortable with you. I think it could yeah. take the relationship to another level, given that you have all of those other components in there, unless it's just a sexual relationship, right? Yeah. And, and also one of the things to keep in mind is that sex begets sex, And when you stop having sex in a relationship or you have it very infrequently, it makes you want it less. And in order to revive your sex life, since we're talking about reigniting a sex life, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and to have it feel weird for a period of time to get to the other side. Because what typically happens in long-term relationships when the sex fades is that when you start to have sex again, it feels almost incestuous. It feels like You feel like brother and sister or sister and sister or brother and brother, and it it can feel kind of weird. And you have to be willing to get past that because also what happens is when you're having regular sex, the hormones in your body actually change. And you start, when when you have more sex, you have more testosterone, whether you're male or female, which makes you want to have more sex and actually helps create a positive flow. Yeah, more sex is definitely the way to go. More sex. Yes. So we have, I think Aaron's going to give us 30 more seconds so you could answer this question for me. What does living a fearlessly authentic life mean to you? I think it means not being focused on the judgments and opinions of others and really doing the things that you believe are in your best interests and in the best interests of those that you love around you. Love that answer. Love it. Love it. Dr. Jen Mann, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Um, For anybody who wants to reach out, can reach you. Where's the best place? On Instagram? Best place is social media at Dr. Jen Mann, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. I love that. And it's the relationship fix. It's right here with her beautiful picture on it. Thank you so much. And everybody have a great day and go live a fearlessly authentic life. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.